0: Hello, and welcome to Making Christ Known, a podcast from Adairsville Baptist Church in Adairsville, Georgia. This podcast features Senior Pastor Eric Sorrell and his sermons designed to make Christ known in Adairsville and beyond. For more information about Adairsville Baptist Church, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. In this episode, Pastor Eric preaches from the book of James about the snares of the devil. Religious pride boasts Christian self-righteousness and the judgment of others, while worldly pride boasts entitlement and self-sufficiency. While listening, consider this quote by Christian theologian C.S. Lewis, A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And now, here's Pastor Eric.
1: Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Our text for this morning is going to be James chapter 4. I want you to imagine that you are uh, a lion, in Africa in those grasslands maybe in Zambia or Zimbabwe and you are this this younger lion you're growing but you know still still smaller in size and as you go through the bush and the grasslands and you get under this one large bush you're smelling and maybe you're hunting something and something seems there for you but something also seems kind of not quite right and you Go forward anyways, and all of a sudden, bam, you're you're snared in an illegal poacher's snare. And the snare initially shocks you as the small line, you're not familiar with that, and all of a sudden there's the pain, and the more you fight, the more that he gets ensnared, and all of a sudden you're you're trapped, and the only thing to do is to howl or to, to moan or to, to, to cry out and you struggle there, you suffer there, and you just can't get free. You're, you're caught, you know. Townspeople come and make a real big to do. Uh, that scares you, right? Because now everybody else is seeing, and you're fearful, and you can't run, and you suffer. And the more that, that you bleed, the weaker that you get. A poacher's illegal snare is a cruel thing for a lion. That's the video that I saw this week, that lion in Zimbabwe and caught in that illegal snare and all the people coming and the more they yelled, the more that that he freaked out, but he had to have help and so the the people came to try to help him and try to set him free. I saw another video of a a bear in India that was caught in an illegal snare and it cried and it tried everything to get out, but it, it had to have help. You can see all those videos, you lion, bear, cheetah, it it doesn't matter. I'm sure our brother here could tell us about illegal (laughs) poacher snares and activities. But it's a cruel thing because what it does is it maims, but it doesn't kill immediately. Slowly, it could be a slow death if no one comes to its aid, but it maims, it, it injures. You can go online and you can see the terrible scars from a snare. The, the wounds, the, the missing legs, the eyes. Maybe the animal does get lucky and get free, but most die unless somebody comes and helps. It, it maims. it doesn't immediately kill. The animal has to have this man's help. This morning as I, I pray about what to preach on, I want to preach on the devil's snare. I want to preach on the devil's snare. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26, Paul writes to young Timothy. And in both letters, he gives this warning. He warns against the devil's snare. Be careful lest you fall into the devil's snare. Be careful lest you choose someone and he falls into the devil's snare. Well, what is the devil's snare? What is Satan's trap? It was his sin from the very beginning. And sadly, men and women still get caught in it today. It's pride. It's the sin of pride. The sin of the devil from the very beginning. His own snare was the sin, I'll make myself higher than God. And pride led to his downfall. And the devil's snare that still encaptures the hearts of saints and sinners is the snare of pride. Jonathan Edwards the 18th century preacher said this the best defense that anyone can have against the wiles of the devil is a humble heart. Nothing sets a person so much out of Satan's reach as humility. He could have said a lot of things there, a lot of different attributes. Uh, nothing The best defense anyone can have against the wiles of the devil is, I mean, he could have chose prayer, the Word of God, those are great things. that do. He could have chosen anything in the Word. He says humility. He says nothing sets apart so much a person out of Satan's reach as, and he could have said anything, he says humility. He says these words, humility is a great protection against falling headlong into Satan's trap. Besides, it's hard to fall down when you're already prostrate before God. I mean, it's hard to get caught in the devil's snare when you're already caught in the Lord's snare. You're already face down. You can't fall anywhere else. You can't let anything else capture you. You're you're safe in the arms of God. What is the devil's snare in our day and age? As I pray, and as I I pray about our church and our community and our nation, ask yourself and, and ask the Lord and see if you don't see this truth. The devil's snare today in our day and age is the thought or the statement, the thought or the statement, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. Well, I'm better than you. And we're snared. We didn't even see it coming. We could say it. We could think it. We could promote it with any of our actions. What does it say? It says, "I'm better than you because of the way I look." Like teenager, don't, that's that's like an un, nobody. Well, sometimes we say that, but so it's not. Sometimes it's not even a spoken thing. It's just, "I'm better than you because of the clothes I wear, the way I look." I'm better than you because of the car I drive. That exists in a very but doesn't it? I'm better than you because, and not even in adults, I'm better than you because of. The things I own. I'm better than you because of the knowledge I have. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. We may not say it, but we think it. Snared. I'm better than you because of the job I perform. Well, I do this. I'm better than you because of the degree I hold. I have this degree. I, I graduated with these. I have this. I'm better than you because of the authority I've been given. I'm better than you because I... Whatever. I'm in this role. I have this authority, I'm better than you because of the money I have. Rich and poor. I'm better than them. I'm better than them. It's true. Our culture, our society thinks this. I'm better than you because of the places that I go. Places that I've went. Places that I've been. The things that I do. The things that I don't do. I'm better than you because of my religious performance. I'm better than you because of my athletic performance. You see that at school, right? I'm better than you because I can run faster and lift more. and do. I'm better than you. Because I'm in church. I'm in the sanctuary. I'm better than you because I do this, I do that, religiously, athletically, school performance. I'm better than you. What'd you make on the grade? I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm in the AP classes. I'm better than you, the college I got accepted in. I'm better than you. I attend church. I score the points. I make the grades. It can reason even this way. I'm better than you because I do this or I'm better than you because I don't do that. I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't cuss, I don't date women that do, I don't, I don't, I do this, I don't do this. We see it all in our culture. I'm better than you because I'm Republican. I'm better than you because I'm Democrat. I'm better than you because I'm not I'm free. I'm better than you because I'm black, I'm white, I'm Hispanic, I'm, I'm Asian. I'm better than you because I'm male, because I'm female. I'm better than you because critical race theory. I'm a minority race woman who's lesbian who's because i have more opposition i have more things against me so i'm better than you i'm better than you it's a horrible sin it's a hor- horrible attitude it's ultimately this sin of pride so pride is self justification pride is declaring yourself good declaring yourself Righteous, and it's sin. Remember what Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, verse 15. He said to the Pharisees, you are the ones who justify yourself. You declare yourself good, holy, and pure. You're the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So the Bible all the way through warns about this sin of pride, that I'm better than type of pride. And pride, if you'll examine every sin, it's at the root of every sin. Of every sin, you can always go back to pride because ultimately it says, I can do this for myself. I can choose to go against God and God's standards, and I, I, and it's, it's there. It's the devil's snare. There are a lot of passages that we can turn to that will address this sin, but I want us to go to the book of James, chapter 4, a unique passage from Jesus's half brother, right? Jesus had brothers and sisters. And many of those, while Jesus walked this earth, they didn't believe in Him. But James, after the resurrection, after he had seen His risen Savior, all of a sudden came to the recognition, this is not my half-brother, and I'm not going to boast and brag in that. This is my Savior and my Lord. This is, this is the one that I will give my life to. And James knew Jesus, and he loved Jesus. He, he loved the Sermon on the Mount. You can tell it by his writing in the book of James. And James writes, and he wants us to, to see that faith works, that, that our Christianity shows itself in our daily life. It's not just words. It's a, it's a demonstration. It's an action. And so James, all in his letter, I've never read it this way until recently, it really, he really deals with pride quite often. He really deals with that I'm better than you mentality. Time and time again. In his letter, I want us to see this. I want us to see two types of pride. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Two types of pride. Two types of the devil's snare. So what is pride? Pride is the absence of humility. C.S. Lewis said these words, If anyone would like to acquire humility, I th- can, I think tell him the first step? The first step is to realize that one is proud. Step number one in acknowledging our sickness is to say, I'm sick, I need, I need a cure, I need help. I need to realize that I am proud. And then... That's the first step on the way, on the road to humility. Two of the devil's snares. I want you to see two types of pride. Pride number one is this, religious pride. Religious pride. Let's look at James chapter four, verses six through 12. James writes, and he's writing about sin. And when it comes to verse six, praise God for this, James says, but he gives more grace. At just the time when we felt like, God, I've been just... Beat and beat down with my sin, the statement that we need to hear is this, but God gives more grace, more grace. And then he says this, therefore it says, and he quotes the proverb, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is a verse that James loved, but this is also a verse that Peter loved, because Peter in his epistle will quote this same verse. You know, Proverbs talks about guarding our heart. It's the wellspring of life. And one of the things that we have to guard our heart from is the sin of pride, number one of religious pride. God says, I oppose the proud, but I will give grace to the humble. Look at verse 7. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And we resist him in Jesus' name. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers, sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver, capital L, and judge, capital J. He who is able to save and to destroy. It's God Almighty. But he ends by saying this, but who are you to judge your neighbor? The first snare is the type of pride called religious pride. We learn in the Bible that Christian Phariseeism, it's the worst of all. Jesus reminds us of this in a parable. It's in Luke chapter 18, and it's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's a passage that I've been fortunate to share in three different countries. I'd like to read it to you now. Jesus says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, they were good, they treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus warns against religious pride in this parable. And He shows us by these two very different prayers. What is this type of pride? It is the sin of self-righteousness. It may think, I'm better than you because I'm more righteous than you. That was his prayer. I'm better than you because I'm more righteous. I I fast more. I read my Bible more. I do more religious works. I believe better religious things. I know more. I do more. It's that I'm, I'm better than attitude that got the Pharisees, and it still gets us today. I suppose that whether your religion is Christianity or whether you're, religion is, you know, Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, or if your religion is the God of self, you're atheist agnostic, you still can have religious pride. Religious pride, that that takes pride in the the works of your religion or non-religion. He tells us what to do in the verses. Draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. It's amazingly ironic, but religious pride doesn't draw near to God. (laughs) It looks like it does, but it doesn't. And it doesn't submit to God. It gives that appearance, but it doesn't. It may draw near to religion. It may submit to traditions. It may submit to ritual and the way that we've always done it and the things that we believe. But religious pride is so deceiving. Remember what Jesus told the Pharisees. He says, you honor me with your lips, but you teach as doctrine the traditions of men. It's what religious pride does. So let me give you some thoughts, maybe some subpoints about religious pride. Number one, religious pride does not easily confess and repent. It doesn't. It doesn't easily confess and repent. It doesn't easily submit. It doesn't easily say, God, I asked for clean hands and a pure heart. It doesn't easily mourn and weep over sin. Religious pride doesn't, because religious pride says, I don't need to do that, I'm better than him. I'm better than her. But I don't do this, I don't have that sin in my life. That's got to count for something. So, a person with religious pride, we don't confess our sins because we sweep them and we, we, we justify them. We don't repent because we think that's something that everybody else needs to do. Oh, that's, that's for somebody else. The sermon or the text or the thought, it starts to swing our elbows instead of move our hearts. We start jabbing our neighbor. Did you hear that? It's good for you. What is religious pride? Number two, it's judgmental of others. James speaks here and he says, this is what you need to do. Because God will give grace. He opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit, resist, draw near, cleanse, weep, mourn. Humble yourself. But then he goes in verse 11 and 12. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother. And this is talking about in Christ. You speak evil against the law, you judge the law. But if you judge the law, then you're not doing it. But you're setting yourself up as a judge. And he says there's only one judge and lawgiver. And he can save and he can destroy. But who are you, he says, to judge your neighbor? The second thing is this religious pride is judgmental of others. James, no doubt, knew the Sermon on the Mount. Because all in his letter, there's just all these different allusions to it. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take out that speck out of your eye if there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take out the log. Out of your own eye. And then you'll see, see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye because you do need to help their brother with the speck. But what does it matter if you're a plank guy? Religious pride judges others. Paul dealt with this in Romans 14. Listen to these words. Romans fourteen four. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls and he'll be upheld for the Lord's able to make him stand. 14.10 says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we, the church, will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We have to be careful of religious pride where we start to judge our fellow church members and Christians in our church, in our community. A third aspect of religious pride is this. It's condescending to others. Do you have a condescending attitude to others? Or do you use condescending words? Some people do, and maybe their their face comes to your mind. And it's a terrible sin because it's the sin of religious pride. So condescending with the words. So condescending with the attitude. Not humble. Another aspect is this. Religious pride is belittling of others. It belittles others with words or with actions. I mean, you see this at school, but we see it in the workplace. We see it even in the church. We can use our words to build up or we can use our words to belittle. Our actions can belittle that person. He says, who are you to do that? To speak evil against one another. Another aspect here is that pride actually causes us, religious pride actually causes us to evaluate others instead of evaluating our own walk with the Lord. Right? Again, it's the elbow and not the heart. We start to evaluate everybody else. We can see the wrong in everybody else, but we can't see it in us. It's not just a snare, it's an invisible snare. I don't know what's got me, but I think I'm okay. But they're snared and they're snared and they're snared and they're snared and, they're snared and I'm not going to tell everybody else about it, what their sin is, but I can't see it in me. It, it evaluates others, but it doesn't evaluate the own walk with the Lord. It doesn't pray like the psalmist, search me and know me. It makes us the lawgiver. It makes us the judge and James warns against that. Jonathan Edwards preached a message called "Undiscerned Spiritual Pride. Notice the title, "Undiscerned Spiritual Pride. And in that sermon, you can find it online, it's a short one, its opening words are kind of like this. Let me give you a warning if you're a growing Christian. See, the warning comes to a pastor, the warning comes to somebody that is a growing Christian, to someone that does practice the things of God, because we are the ones that are prone to Christian Phariseeism. And the warning is, warning, warning, you may have undiscerned spiritual pride. He refers to the sin as a secret enemy the great fault finder in others, the sin that puts on a show. It's mean. It's easily offended. And it's hungry for attention while neglecting others. So, snare number one is that of religious pride. And you could use any book of the Bible as that text. And the question is, are you trapped in that invisible cage? Maybe invisible to you, but not to someone on the outside. Am I trapped in it? Oh, so easy to think. I'm better than because of dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank. The second type of pride is worldly pride. It's another snare. It's worldly pride. Look at how he continues in verse 13. Look at verse 13 through 17. These are his words of warning for worldly pride. Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town, a city, spend a year there, trade, work, make a profit, earn some money, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist. It appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in arrogance, you boast in pride. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Worldly pride is the second snare and worldly pride is this, it's selfishness. It's self-centeredness. This is the pride that says, it's all about me. It's all about what I think and what I feel and what I want to do. And so it pursues selfish sin. It boasts in me. It boasts in my goals. It boasts in my desires. Worldly pride has this note. It has the entitlement or privileged attitude that says it's all about me. Worldly pride says this is about me. This world, this church, this system, this relationship, this job, it's about me. It's all about me. And the rules that apply to others don't apply to me because life's about me. So that rule applies to you, but it doesn't apply to me. I don't have to live by that standard. I can hold you to that standard. I don't have to because I can boast in myself and I get to make the rules because that's the devil's snare, isn't it? No, oh God. It was the sin in the garden. It's, it's any sin. No, nope, it's about me. That, that command, that verse, that may speak to others, but it's not. I don't have to live by that. So worldly pride is in our society and it says this. It may say, Well, I have a right to do this. I have a right to do this. I have a right to smash a police car. Whatever. I have a right to think this way. I have a right to think that transgender is okay. I have a right to feel this way. I have a right to act this way. I'm saying that with sarcasm, right? I have a right to choose. this. I have a right to choose. I have a right to do or feel whatever I, I want to do. That's what worldly pride does, and that's what we're seeing all in our society. Everybody says, I'm better than you because I, whatever, because I'm this race, because I'm a Republican, Democrat, right? I'm, I'm better than you, and, and that's okay for me, and these standards apply to me, but they don't to, you know, they don't to you, and the ones that apply to you don't to me, and it's just it's all about boasting. He says this, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil, Here's another note about worldly pride. It makes self the goal of life. It makes pleasure the goal of life. It makes possessions the goal of life. Look at verse 13. Come now, you who say, you know, you're planning and you're reasoning to yourself. Well, today I'm going to do this. Tonight, tomorrow, next week, next month. I've got these plans. Why? Because it's all about me. I like this. I feel this way. I think this way. And it feels good. And it's about, look, we'll go to a town, Rome, Calhoun, Cartersville, and, spend a year there, have some pleasure there, go on this vacation, and we'll make some money, trade, I'll work, it's all about what money we get and the possessions that we have, the things we do, I'll make a profit. That's a pretty worldly way of living, isn't it? But verse 14 is the warning, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? But you're just a mist, a vapor, a a rain It's just here and then it's gone. It vanishes. Worldly pride makes self-pleasure possessions, whatever it is, the goal of life. Worldly pride is like the man in Jesus' parable that built the bigger barns. Remember him? Built this barn and built this barn. And then he said to himself, eat, drink, and be merry. Soul, you've acquired much Eat, drink, and be merry, right? That's worldly pride. And Jesus said, you don't even know. Boom, tomorrow your soul's required of you. Now what? That's worldly pride. It boasts of the things of this world. Good things put in wrong places. So we could ask this question, does the devil have you in this snare? So many are. They, they have a dash of Christianity. Oh Lord, I, you, you, I, I've sprinkled you like salt on my life. I, I do Sunday. But God, you stay at the church because I'm going to live my life in this area. Whatever feels good, whatever my plans, my possessions, my, my life, that's worldly pride. I'll do this, I'll do this. And Jesus, you stay at the church. You're much, much better there. Lord, I'm, I'm okay. It's even religious pride, right? Like All of a sudden the snare takes us. The sad thing is this, is that worldly pride ignores God. It forgets God. That's a lot of people in our society, in our community today. They're just ignoring God. They're just forgetting God. They, well, we gave God our hour, our 45 minutes. You know, we did that. And then the rest of my week I ignore God. That's what verse 13, they're just ignoring God. Nothing wrong to make plans, but don't make them apart from God. It forgets the mission of God. That's where God... This is where Satan really has a lot of people right now. They've forgotten the mission of God. We should be busy with the things of God. But when we're not, we get into snares. Right? We ignore God. God, you're there. but You're not here. And I like you there, but... I forget your mission and I'm doing my own. I'm t- today I'm here, tomorrow I'm there, I'm making money here, I'll do this. He said, you don't even know what tomorrow holds. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills. That puts God in it. And it's just a simple thing. It's like, God, what's your will in this situation? Lord, if you will, I'll do this and that. Only by your grace. God, he says, opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But sadly, worldly pride's not the only one that forgets God and God's mission. Religious pride does too. It forgets God and ignores God and forgets God's mission because it's all about the checking the boxes and the traditions and teaching noses. That's what matters. And I'm better because I follow what matters. Well, that's ignoring God too. That's forgetting too. We have to learn to say, as the early Christians did, a Latin phrase, Deo valente. They would even sign some of their plans and papers. Deo Volente, it means this, God willing. Deo Volente, we'll have small groups next Sunday, but if He doesn't will, we may not. You know, We don't make our plans apart from God. God willing, we should start to put that in our own minds. God willing. It's hard. Andrew Murray reminds us of that when he says this, Humility is the displacement of self. By the enthronement of God. Worshipful faith enthrones God. When our hearts are worshiping, when we're trusting, when we're believing, when we're believing with adoration and adoring, that enthrones God. And Humility displaces self that enthrones God. So the question as we turn to application is this. How does religious pride and worldly pride get displaced? How do we deal with these snares? T.S. Eliot, who died in 1965, says this, Humility is the most difficult of all virtues to achieve. Nothing dies harder than the desire to think well of oneself. That's hard. The desire to think well of oneself is the last thing to die. Humility is so hard to deal with. And there have been times in my life where I had such religious pride that I didn't even recognize it. It's like God had to take me out of that position, out of that place, or out of that moment, or out of that, that spot, or put some distance and time between it, and then let me look back and look back. I go, man, I was in that. I didn't even see it. God forgive me. How wretched I was because I walked around like I was born on third base. But I didn't get there by myself, you know. Somebody else put me there and moved me there. Like, God, I'm in need of mercy because I had religious pride. We have worldly pride. Humility is the most difficult of all virtues. To achieve nothing dies harder than the desire to think well of oneself. So I believe that love for others, that love for God, is key to overcoming religious pride and worldly pride. We have to love God supremely. We have to love our brothers and sisters. We have to love as 1 Corinthians 13 tells us to. This is the way to overcome the pride. The chapter begins addressing religious pride. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Humility and love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. So we know the good that we're to do. And James would say, if you know the good that you're to do, then go and do it. We realize that. So he's shown us how to deal with religious and worldly pride. The text shows us in six actions in verses 7 through 10. I give them to you now. Action number one, submit to God. Put yourself under Him. Verse seven says, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Lord, I'm not under my tradition or my religion. I'm not under my preference. I'm not under. Lord, I am under you. I'm submitting to you. I am displacing self and enthroning Christ. Submit to God. Put yourself under Him. Number two, He tells us, Resist the devil. And the promise says, And He'll flee from you. Resist the devil. Resist the devil's snare. How did Jesus resist the devil's snare, the Word of God? He was in the Word of God, he knew the Word of God, and so he could quote the Word of God. Yes, but it is written. Yes, but it is written. See Matthew chapter 4. That's how we resist the devil's snare. Action number 3 is this, draw near to God. Verse 8, he says, draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. That's the promise. But we know that we draw near to God through Jesus Christ. That's the Gospel. We can draw near to God through the Savior. And I invite you to do that this morning. The fourth action is this one change your behavior, repent of sin. This is what he means when he says, cleanse your hands. But you know, it's not just about hand washing because the Pharisees did that quite well, didn't they? It's about matters of the heart. And so when he says, cleanse your hands, he's saying, repent, deal with sin. Change your behavior, repent, turn away from it. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded, because it's hard to be focused on God and my religious pride, or it's hard to be focused on God and the the lusts and the things of this world, that worldly pride. You're going to be double-minded and it's no good. You won't be able to stand. So we have to change our behavior. Number five, very important, experience grief over sin. Experience grief over sin. The tax man had it. The Pharisee didn't. We're to experience brokenness. We're to mourn the loss of humility. He says it this way, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. That's where we see the ugliness of sin and we grieve it and we mourn it and we see the ugliness of pride and we say, oh God have mercy on me, I've been blind to it. I can see it in everybody else but not me. I'm putting myself up, and Lord, I just need to humble myself before you. He says, turn your joy to gloom. There's a time for that. There's a time for weeping and brokenness, and our nation needs it. Not that I'm better than you. That puffs up. The last action, action number six, is this. Humble yourself once again, because you probably did at the moment of salvation when verse six says, he gives more grace that's the first way that you received grace, that you received salvation. You humbly admitted to God that you were a sinner like the tax man. You said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. But then over time we grow and the, the pride and the root it just starts to branch out and all of a sudden it's producing fruit and it's nasty and it's, it's doing things in our life and the, the snare's there catching us. So what do we do? We go back to the gospel. The gospel. We submit to Christ. We resist our Will and Satan's will. We draw near to Jesus. We repent of our sin. We say, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. We're broken over that. And we humble ourselves and we, we humble ourselves once again. Humble yourself before the Lord, verse 10 says, and he will exalt you. So maybe today you go home and jump on that YouTube and watch, watch one of those poor animals, but think how poor it is for us, for a soul walking along caught in the devil's snare we have to realize and recognize that there is a snare of pride we have to repent with brokenness and humility and he'll lift us up again great thing is that there are those animals that got set free they were set free because people came out of love and would have been real easy to just go pow and be done you know when we went to Zambia the first time, the first trip, I remember going through some of those checkpoints for people looking for illegal poachers, right? Why? Out of love for the law and out of love for the animals and the conservation and, and truth and right. And those people came and they were able to rescue that, that bear or that lion out of the fowler's snare. And that's why Christ Jesus came. Amen? Christ Jesus came to rescue sinners. Christ came to rescue us, to redeem us from sin's snare, and only Christ can set us free. We can't set ourselves free. We just struggle and we won't make it. So one of the things that we have to do and one of the things that the animals had to do is this, you have to submit, you have to put yourself under His care, you have to rest in Him. Today what some of us need is the Holy Spirit to shoot us with a tranquilizer dart and say, stop! Stop! Doing what you're doing. Stop thinking what you're thinking, be it religious pride or worldly pride, and the Holy Spirit to shoot us and let us lay still long enough where God can come in and say, I can set you free. <laughs> Stop trying to work against me. That lion in Zimbabwe, the it was so, you know, the people were just out there, man. They're all hooting and hollering. I can imagine, you know, us, I kind of haven't been there. And it, they just won't go to sleep. <laughs> The more that the people arouse him, the more excited. It's like he just won't submit to that drug and that tranquilizer. And finally he does, and when he does, he's, he's set free. The lion has rested in the care of others, allowed them to save him, and that's what we need to do today to say, Christ Jesus, search me, save me, help me, help me, Lord, cleanse me, give grace. To a humble heart today, saved from the fowler's snare.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Making Christ Known. We invite you to join us again next time for another sermon from Adairsville Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.